Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. You were listening yesterday. You heard this audio from a debate performance in Ohio the other night on Fox 8 there. 20 years ago, uh, I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. That very same year, Tim Ryan went to Washington, D.C., where he has been failing at his basic job for 20 years. Talks a big game, but the record of accomplishment just isn't there. I think there's something very basic here. I think that people deserve certain things. Ohioans deserve certain things from their federal leadership. They deserve to go to the grocery store and be able to afford food without it breaking the bank. They deserve streets that you can walk down safely. They deserve a country that has a border. I promise we may not always agree on everything, but I'll never forget where I came from, and I'll never stop fighting to achieve those things for the people who deserve them. This is such an important election. I encourage people to go to JDVance.com and support me. But at, at the end of the day, the question here is whether we need new leadership in this state. Double down on the last two years of failed leadership or take this country in a different direction. I thank you all for listening. I thank you for watching, and I hope to earn your vote. God bless you guys. That was J.D. Vance in his debate against uh, longtime Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan. And J.D. Vance joins me now from Ohio. How are you? Eric, good, good to be with you. I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, that was great. I got to tell you, that was a fantastic debate performance the other night. Um, it, it was nice uh, in, in the moments I saw. You're not yelling at each other so much. You're just delivering a, a strong contrast to a man who for 20 years has um, essentially had a love affair with the political press corps claiming to be something that he's not, uh, and in reality just another reliable vote for the Democrats. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was a lot of fun. I certainly think it came out of it ahead, and I think that was the perception of most people who watched it as well. Uh, shockingly, Eric, usually these debates don't really matter, but it looks like a lot of people watch the debates. I mean, the estimates we've heard just in the Cleveland uh, metro area, well over 100,000 people tuned in. And you spread that across Cincinnati, Columbus, the rest of the state. We probably you know, hit pretty solid viewership. But I, I just the guy's been running a campaign pretending to be something that he's not. It was fun to, to get on the stage with him, correct the record a little bit, and let people know who I was. So I enjoyed it, uh, and we'll do it again next Monday. Now, I, I, I want to throw a theory out here, Edge, and, and this, this goes to – uh, both of your backgrounds. So I was at CNN for three years uh, before you got there and then jumped over to Fox News. Uh, in 2016, wasn't a Trump supporter and had reliable, regular engagements with members of the media, standing invitations to come on shows. The moment I said that I was going to support Trump, I mean, invitations got canceled and, and these shows never had me on again. And, and here's a guy who writes Hillbilly Elegy, who's on CNN, who Democrats are reading the book and praising it. And then you you come out and say in, in 2020 you're supporting Trump and you're a Republican. And I think more than any other candidate running for any office this year, the mainstream media has gone after you harder. Uh, I mean, you're reading the press where you would think you were behind in the polls there and that Tim Ryan's a shoe in because the media just can't stand that you didn't toe the line and you weren't who they presumed you were. And I, I'm remarkable this entire time, how the press coverage of you in particular as a candidate has been just disparaging from mainstream outlets, even though you're winning. Yeah, it's weird, Eric. I definitely think there's an element of, you know, people hate a heretic more than anything. And I think a lot of these people assumed that I was one of them just because I didn't like Trump in 2016. And then 
you know, I, I, I thought he did a great job as president. And in some ways, more importantly, I thought the left went completely off the deep end. And so there's this sense of betrayal, and you can definitely see it in the coverage. Um, you know, Mor- Morning Joe in particular, I remember how much he used to fawn all over my book. And, you know, frankly, he used to fawn all over Trump himself as well. And now I am like enemy number one to the, to the cast and crew of the Morning Joe show. So I, I think it's just part of the media environment. I will say, Eric, and it sounds like you've learned this the, the, in the same way, you know, we always have to be ourselves. We always have to be independent and form our own judgments based on what we think is going on in the world. But I think the media environment is such that if you want to say anything of real value, they're going to come after you. The only thing that's really okay is conventional, boring pablum. And if you're not doing the conventional, boring talking points, they're going to find some way to attack you. And, you know, I, I, almost, I almost think if the media is attacking you, I, I, I trust that you're saying something worthwhile. That's, that's more important than almost any other signal. Now, whenever I have candidates come on, I, I try to talk about the, the local issues in their states, and not just the big, broad national economic issues or Democrats are bad or what have you, but always try to get something local. What I've noticed this year is that it doesn't matter who the candidate is and what state they're in, and I've heard you talk about this too, fentanyl is really a, a state-level problem exacerbated by the, the, the policies of the Democrats in Washington in terms of the border. No, that's exactly right. And it has many different varieties and many different forms, too, Eric. So, of course, you have the most obvious thing, right? People uh, who are losing their lives, people who maybe would have been addicted to drugs two or three years ago are now dying because of how intensely poisonous this stuff is. Uh, the second angle of it is that you've got a generation of grandparents who are raising children. And, and almost nobody talks about these guys. Uh, one of the most, I think, heroic groups of people in our state they don't get any real attention from the media, certainly not from our political leaders. Of course, you've got a generation of children who have been orphaned by it. Uh, you have a, a hospital system that's really overwhelmed by this problem. If you talk to anybody in the state of Ohio, they'll tell you, good luck finding a mental health facility that will take you in if you have a serious problem because they're all overwhelmed by the drug problem. So it, it's just it has so many different layers. And, and, and what, I, what I really bothers me about the issue is so much of it's preventable. Like, you're always going to have addicts, right? As, as long, you know, I'm a Christian. I know you are, too. Um, as long as you've had sinful people, people are going to get addicted to things. However, this particular poison is a problem, and we really, really have to do something about it. Now, beyond the fentanyl issue, Ohio is a state that fascinates me because, I mean, you've got the eastern Rust Belt area of Ohio moving west towards Indiana and up, up towards the Great Lakes. It's economically diverse, manufacturing, and also this growing tech corridor. How do you see the big future needs of Ohio and, and in, in the Senate? What, how would you prioritize them? You know, I mean, I mean, you mentioned, of course, right, there's sort of a few really big national issues here. There's the inflation issue, which I really think of as an energy issue. And, and specifically, this touches Ohio and probably Pennsylvania more than any other states in the union. Uh, we have a huge natural gas sector here that could become much, much larger. And it's not just a natural gas workers issue or just an energy consumer price issue. It's also a manufacturing issue. You cannot manufacture unless you have quality uh, natural gas that's, that's sort of being pumped into the market. Uh, obviously, the crime issue, the, the immigration issue, especially as it relates to the fentanyl problem. Um, you know, Ohio is interesting, of course, and, and I'm from the southern part of the state where this is not an issue at all. But, you know, we, we of course, have Lake Erie forms the majority of our northern border in Ohio. 
I don't think a lot of people realize, I certainly didn't realize um, public policy, how much of the, the modern manufacturing sector depends on transport from the upper Midwest and Canada down to the lower Midwest through those Great Lakes. So there's a lot of infrastructure, actually, we need to rebuild when it comes to Great Lakes shipping, and that's obviously very important to northern Ohio. Uh, but again, that's an issue that affects us nationally, too, because if you don't have iron ore coming from the upper Midwest, you're not going to have any manufacturing. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have even thought about that issue as well. I appreciate that. So, you know, moving forward, we're less than a month from the campaign. You you are ahead in the polling. The media just, after a 20-year love affair with Tim uh, Ryan, he's always going to be the Speaker of the House. Who's, he's always going to stand up and challenge Nancy Pelosi, and he never does. Uh, what do you see in the next in this last month as really shaping the lay of the land for voters in Ohio? I, you know, there are a couple of different dynamics, right? So, so one is that I, I do think that I'm ahead and I have the momentum, so I just need to avoid making a mistake, right? I think about that as 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 a candidate's perspective. Um, you know, if I think about it demographically and politically, I think about 10 percent or so of the electorate is undecided on the Senate race, but really should go for me. Um, and so. You know, these are moderate to center-right voters. They tend to be pretty conservative on criminal justice issues, certainly on economic issues. And I, I've got a, you know, a tough challenge of really appealing to those voters and making sure they, they make a decision and they make it in the right way. So that's, that's how I see the next 28 days, obviously, you know, raising a lot of money, making sure that we stay on TV, that we're pounding the pavement um, on the ground. All those things really matter, but they're ultimately to the end of getting that 10% to make a decision, and most of them, to get it to make it for me. Now, two more questions here before I let you go. One is just your background and your story. I've, I've, I've read your book. Um, I, I know your story. You, you went to the Marines. You went to Yale. Um, you, you did well in life. You're kind of the epitome of the American success story, having been raised by your grandparents, essentially, and, and do this. How do you see access for the younger generations, the Gen Zers out there who, in the economic malaise we have right now, how do, how do you see your role as a senator to try to help them at access the American dream? Yeah, it's a very good question. I guess I just see this as, as we've really failed, I think, the millennials and the Gen Z folks. If you look at a lot of the statistics, you know, homeownership, not really accessible to a lot of our young people. Obviously, the college debt crisis, which I don't think the solution is to forgive student debt. I think it's to force the universities to really foot more of the bill instead of you know paying high-priced administrators. Um, you know, I, I think the basic trappings of middle-class life, you know, a home, a family, a little bit of stability, um, you know, if, if you've got, you know, two parents at home, which hopefully everybody does, you know, one of those parents gets to spend, spend at least a few years at home with the kids if they so choose, those things are really inaccessible to a lot of young people. And I think that that, it's not all economic, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of the idea that all of these issues are economic. But you certainly got to make home ownership and higher wages more accessible to people. And I think that if you did, you might start to solve some of the deeper issues that I really, really worry about, which is, you know, not enough young families being started, a lot of instability, a lot of childhood trauma, obviously something I saw growing up. But we want to make sure young people have the American dream accessible to them. And right now, a lot of them just don't feel it. Now, last question, speaking of young people, you, you've got a wife and young kids how do you balance being out on the campaign trail with also being accessible for your family? Yeah, it's, it's very hard. Um, it's definitely the thing that I think I've struggled with the most on the campaign trail. You know, politicians whine about how much you don't sleep and how much you're on the road. Like, it's actually not a very hard job in, in, in almost any way except for that one. 
you know, our, our oldest is five, our youngest is nine months. So we've got some pretty tiny ones with three total. And, you know, I, I, I think that what we've tried to do is sacrifice a little bit more sleep in the evening or in the morning. Um, and, 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 and that way I get home and at least can have dinner with the kids or breakfast with the kids, take my son to school. You, know, you just try to carve out little days. And you know, sometimes you go a week where six days I don't see my kids, and that's really tough. Most weeks we've been able to at least create enough space for the family, but you know it's something you have to balance pretty hard. And it, it's something that I think, unfortunately, this is one of the reasons why a lot of younger people don't run for office is because it's so family. Well, I mean, you got kids your age, you're not getting any sleep anyway. So, I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> Look, thank you for taking time out to, to, to talk. Best of luck to you on the campaign trail. I have continually been impressed uh, as your evolution of a candidate. I, I, and I'll be honest with you, J.D., I, I started somewhat skeptically looking at you. And you were, I mean, I'm just, one, your authenticity comes across. And two, uh, you're so much not the candidate that so many people in the media would have people believe. Uh, when you actually look at your campaign, your issues, and just how you present yourself on the debate stage and off, you, you've become a deeply impressive candidate. Um, I, I'm, I'm proud of you, honestly, just watching you evolve, knowing your backstory, where you are today, about to, I think, be in the Senate. Uh, and you're going to just deeply, deeply um, be an impressive senator from Ohio. So thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it, Eric. Take care. You too. J.D. Vance, uh, he's going to be the next senator from Ohio. Uh, and again, I, I mean that in all sincerity. He, um, I've watched him evolve as a candidate. I treated him skeptically and saw his growth as a candidate over time. He has been fantastic on the campaign stage. He has developed as a candidate in um, just really good ways. A guy who's never run for office before. And I think, again, it's very notable that when you compare J.D. Vance, someone who's never run for office before, with some of the other candidates who have never run for office before, the media generates hit jobs on him in a way they don't these other candidates, and yet he's outperforming very many of them. And I really do think it goes back to, as he said, um, heretics are hated the most in, in the media. He was portrayed as a uh, working class Democrat. He's now a working class Republican, raised himself up an American success story, and he's deeply resented in the media. So I was glad he was willing to stop by and talk. Uh, and I really do think he's going to be the next senator from Ohio, despite it really is weird when you read about his campaign in the press. They despise him so much. And then you look at the poll and you're like, wait a second, uh, you read the press clippings, it looks like he's toast and actually he's ahead. He's going to win. He's going to be a great senator. We're not always going to agree, but I'm going to know he means it when he says what he says. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americans for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans if you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Real quick, 
uh, wherever you are in the nation, I am uh, going to gather together with my listeners at a gun range at the end of October, October 28th at 5 p.m. It's called Governor's Gun Club. It's in Kennesaw, Georgia. It is the largest indoor skeet shooting facility in the nation. It's Think of it as a country club for gun owners. They've got a restaurant. They've got incredible food. They've got uh, incredible bourbon selection. And I'm going to get together with you. You don't have to be a drinker or even shoot guns. Just come hang out. Uh, There's a VIP ticket that lets you come early and and check out the range and the bourbons. You can't shoot and drink. you got to do shooting before drinking or get a voucher and come back later. Uh, And if you just want general admission, just come for the conversation. I'll be there with a future member of Congress. I'll be there with someone from Governor Kemp's campaign team. As we wind up the midterms, I will give you a private briefing from what I'm being told by sources about how the lay of the land looks a week before the election. We will have early voting data by then, so I will give you the inside scoop. Uh, You'll be way more informed than all of your neighbors, and you'll get to hang out with me. All you have to do is text the word bourbon to 33777, I will send you a link back and you can get a ticket. Uh, They had a ticket processing issue earlier if you tried and couldn't get it. It has been resolved. You do need to click the terms and conditions button on the uh, Fresh Ticks website. That's the ticketing site. Uh, But text Bourbon to 33777. Come hang out with me October 28th at 5 p.m. The main uh, event starts, I think, at 7 p.m. for general admission, and you will be well more informed than all of your neighbors about what's happening in the week before the midterms. Now, let's see. I got time to squeeze in a phone call here. Jim, you got about a minute and a half. Jim, welcome. Thank you, Eric. I have a different look on uh, voting for someone you don't like. Uh, Last person I voted for was Ronald Reagan. Ever since then, I have voted against the person whom I think would do the most damage. It's the same thing you've been saying, but it's, a, I guess, a different way of saying it, and perhaps it'll appeal to some people. Yeah, look, I think that's a good way to say it, Jim. Um, and it is when you look at the policies that Warnock is voting for. Uh, he voted for the legislation that's caused this massive spike in inflation. He's voted for the legislation that was supposed to solve the inflation and doesn't. Uh, He wants to end the Senate filibuster to make you and me fund abortion on demand. And I, I think I have to give a pass to a voter who says, I don't like Herschel Walker, given his background, but I'm going to vote for him because though he may have paid for an abortion 13 years ago, Raphael Warnock wants to scrap the rules of the Senate to force through legislation that would make me pay for abortion tomorrow. If you're a pro-life voter, you probably are Christian. You may not be. I know some atheists who are pro-life voters. But if you are, you got to consider, do I show forgiveness to someone for something he may or may not have done 13 years ago that he flat out denies and vote for him? Or do I give a pass to the guy who wants me as a Christian, he wants to use my money to pay for abortion on demand until the moment of birth tomorrow nationwide? It's it's a choice you're going to have to make in this race, in addition to all the other policies Warnock supports. 
So winter is coming, and I got to tell you, I love the weight of the bull and branch sheets. I like them in the summer when it's hot and you don't want a lot of covers on you. But in the wintertime, they're just the perfect weight, the perfect, I don't know, smoothness. They're 100% organic cotton threads. They've got super softness. They get softer every time you wash them. They're just the drape when you're laying down and stuff. They're not, they're just perfect sheets. I love them. Uh, I am effusive with my praise for Bull and Branch, and I'm delighted to have them as an advertiser. Look, they're made from the highest quality threads. They got superior softness. They got over 25,000 rave customer reviews and counting. I'm one of them. The quality you can tell is great. They hold up well after all the washes I've put them through. And they just get softer. It doesn't matter what the thread count is. The fiber sucks, and you can tell they put a lot of great detail into the fibers they use. And look, Bola Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're going to feel the difference. You're not going to want to send them back. The first 100% organic fair trade certified bedding company ever. They used 90% less water than conventional production, zero pesticides, other chemical, chemical, toxic chemicals. They don't use them. It's just fantastic. Listen, I'm effusive with my praise. I love Bull and Branch. Try them for yourself. And again, you get a 30-night risk-free trial, free shipping, returns on all orders. Try the sheets that will make you fall for the coziest night sleep in the season where you want cozy sheets. 15% off your first set of sheets. Free shipping when you use promo code Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is Eric. Trust me, they're worth it. We've got five bedrooms, five beds, Bolin Branch sheets on every bed. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, note to my producer, a candidate for the United States Senate generates blue text bubbles. Unlike you, yours are still green. <laughs> okay. Just a little passive aggressive. I, I, y'all, I got to play this audio for you. Um, if you live in Georgia, you are familiar undoubtedly with uh, Kelvin King. He was one of the primary candidates against Herschel Walker in the Republican primary. It, nationally, if you've paid attention to Republican outreach to black voters, you're probably very familiar with Kelvin King. He helped start black voters for Trump. And Donald Trump went to Atlanta, Georgia last year in 2020, did a big event in Atlanta with Kelvin King, who organized black voters for Trump. He has a video out on Facebook. It, it sounds like it's going to be turned into uh, an ad campaign targeting black men. And I want to play this for you. Uh, he sent it to me, and this is impressive. You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to. I know that if we have the kind of turnout possible among black men and they vote for me, I will win this election. That is why if my camp. A recent study shows high U.S. inflation rates are having a more serious impact on black Americans. And despite Biden administration's strong jobs report, black workers are seeing unemployment rate increase to 6.6. The Democrats still think they have our vote on lock. Mandating the jab, killing our jobs, daily costs keep rising, plus attacking our masculinity. And they think this is an agenda we can get behind? Nah, not this election. I'm Kelvin King, 
a military veteran, successful businessman, and yes, a Republican. Look, I've lived the dream, but I'm no stranger to struggle. I know firsthand what it's like to be in the cycle of having a teen mom, then being a teen dad myself, and doing my best to be better than the dad who abandoned me. As a black man, I know what it's like to be taken for granted by the Democrats, by the media, and yes, by the culture. That's why I'm passionate about having real conversations with black men, about supporting the policies and principles that matter. Over the next few weeks, I'll be talking specifically to you, not because I want something from you, but because I want more for us. So let's start handling our political decisions the same as we handle our business careers and our family responsibilities. Speaking of which... Oh, I'm ready. The decision is ours. Let's be kings for America. That's Kelvin King and his wife at the end there. I, look, I, that's, I think, a good message. Uh, you know, one of my problems with uh, outreach to the non-white community of America, particularly by Republicans, is you tend to have some white guy who just is a little bit awkward, who doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I use the stereotype, but it's actually based on a real uh, story of a young Republican operative trying to convince Hispanic voters to vote for the Republicans and showed up at, at the Hispanic business owners meeting and started out with, hola. <laughs> like, oh, how bad can you do it? Just treat people as your neighbors, as Americans and, and connect with them. This is one of the deep flaws, I think, of the Democratic Party right now. Uh, and it is uh, their focus on identity politics. When you realize that your neighbor is your neighbor and not a black American or African-American or Latino or Latinx or Hispanic, um, but they actually are a, a neighbor who has a unique story, unique to them, you begin to talk to them different ways. Instead of talking to black voters as black voters, you're talking to them, as you heard Kelvin King said, as, as small businessmen, as employers, as, as workers, as dads, as members of the community. I think you begin to connect with voters in a different way. And, and I, to some degree, I think there's a fatal weakness in the Democratic Party's movement towards identity politics because as they are working for um, getting the votes of non-white voters and keeping them in a Democratic Party coalition that is increasingly secular, white, and rich, they begin to pollute the language that they connect with them on based on the values of secular, rich, white people, and they begin to see people as a commodity. People aren't commodities. They're moms and their dads and their doctors and their lawyers. They are hardworking plumbers and electricians, landscapers, migrant workers on farms, uh, brothers, sisters, veterans. They're, they're not just Hispanic voters. I, there was a sign. It may or may not have been in a corporate office I was in yesterday. <clears throat> and it wanted appreciation for the Latinx community. It had to be done by a white person because Every poll shows no one in the Latino or Hispanic community uses the phrase Latinx, but people in human resources departments across America like to use the phrase Latinx, uh, a bunch of secular white people who don't relate anymore 
to the needs of that community. And this is one of the, the things that uh, for years, you, you know, as I've, I've told Brian Kemp and talked to him, he got 38% of the Hispanic vote in 2006, uh, 2018 against Stacey Abrams, that when you relate to them as, as not as Hispanic voters, but as Georgians, as, as hardworking businessmen and women and, and moms and dads, uh, I think you'll see that turn. And that's exactly what he's done. He hasn't taken my advice. It's just he's a natural at this sort of stuff. And he's going to win a majority of the Hispanic vote in Georgia. And if Republicans around the country lock in even a third of the Hispanic vote nationally, given their existing coalition, the Democrats are going to be shut out of power. And the key, I think, to doing that and the key to what Kelvin King is demonstrating by talking to younger black men is talking to them as dads, as professionals, as people who go to work as neighbors as opposed to, well, you are in a demographic and your demographic must be conformed. Now, let me explain this to you. I was talking with my buddy, Mark Aram. He's on my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta last night. And he was talking about all the mailers he's getting from Republicans. He doesn't get mailers from Democrats. He gets a lot of tech spam trying to raise money from Raphael Warnock's campaign, but he's getting mailers from Republicans. And the reason is because he is a Jewish man who lives in Metro Atlanta in a professional job as a radio show talk talk host. So the Democrats look at his profile of um, man, Jewish, Atlanta, professional job, and they say, well, he's one of ours. Never mind that he votes across party lines. He votes Republican primaries, Democratic primaries, Democrats. Demographically, look at someone like that and say he's one of ours. Republicans look at someone like that these days and they say, recently married, professional job, votes in and out of parties, he's probably persuadable on real-world issues, economic and crime issues. And so they're persuading him, not because he is a Jewish white male professional living in the metro Atlanta area, but because he's a recently married uh, man who lives in Atlanta, has a professional career, and commutes to work. And so he's probably worried about uh, the carjackings in Atlanta. He's probably worried about the economy and his 401k. And so he might be persuadable. And by looking not at the demographic group, but by looking at the whole person, Republicans are making better persuasive arguments now. It's something I think Democrats used to do very well. And as their party has become increasingly secular, white, and rich, they no longer do that very well. They look at Hispanic voters and say, this is the Hispanic vote concern. They're concerned about uh, Republican racism at the border. No, actually, they're really concerned about an open border and illegal immigration because they are here legally and resent like hell how easy it is to get into this country now by other people. When it, they took the way to do, when they went the right way and did it the right way, uh, Republicans see them as hardworking businessmen and women. Democrats see them as well. Uh, if they're a non-white voter, they like a large social safety net. So we will talk to them about growing the social safety net and growing the welfare state. And Republicans look at them and say, well, these are taxpayers who are struggling economically. We're going to talk to them, not as Hispanic uh, or Latino or Latinx. Uh, we're going to talk to them as a mom and a dad who's struggling to put food on the table. Uh, we're going to talk to them as a small business owner whose costs are rising. We're going to talk to them as a, as a laborer in the working class who can't make ends meet right now because of democratic policies. And that's making the difference. And what I think 
pollsters are missing, and one of the flaws in the polling right now is it's harder and harder to get uh, black, Hispanic, and Republican white voters to talk to pollsters. And I think they're probably missing the trends. Now, I could be wrong, and we'll find out in less than a month. Maybe the polling is spot on this time. The polling always has an error, and maybe the pollsters have corrected enough, and they've overcorrected in a different way, and the polling will have to be adjusted. But right now, my sense of things is that pollsters are kind of missing the pulse of where things are because so many of the pollsters are also in the media bubble that the young white women are going to be so uh, concerned about abortion, they're going to come out in surprising waves and dominate and sweep the Democrats back into power. And I'm just not so sure that's what's really going to happen. I think they're missing that it's still the economy and they've overcorrected to some degree. And in the process of doing so, they're capturing people who are really eager to talk to pollsters. Those are energized Democratic Party voters, and they're missing the focused, focused voters who are focused on getting Republicans back into power. And we'll all be surprised on Election Day. You know, if, if Pennsylvania goes to Oz in a pretty big way, and that we'll find out fairly early on Election Night, across the country, it's doom and gloom for the Democrats. It really will be. Now, let's see. I can squeeze in some phone calls here. Um, Eddie, I want to go to you next. Thanks for being patient, Eddie. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Thanks for doing what you do. Appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to meeting you at the bourbon and gun uh, event. I promise I'll uh, shoot the guns before I drink the bourbon. <laughs> Good. Um, just to set the record straight a little bit on Herschel, um, I'm proud to say I was at the first game he ever played in and, you know, I've been impressed with him my entire life. Um, the man signed a, a twenty-plus million-dollar contract out of college. Um, he did own one of the largest minority-owned. It was a chicken processing business. He did hire. He did um, have over six hundred employees, and he always said he wanted to work with the FBI. And I understand he did do the citizen certi- certification. So I mean, all these things that they're trying to pin on him. I mean, he did. Um, with the Democrats, you know, trying to out people's families, I mean, I don't blame him for not saying where his kids go to school. And, you know, they'll, they'll give people's addresses and, you know, where the kids go to school and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as the wife or girlfriend that claimed he was going to blow his brains out, um, what if she said that, that, that she was carrying his child and she was going to get an abortion, and he gave her several hundred dollars and, and put a gun to her head and said, I'd rather blow your brains out than you get an abortion. I mean, I can't, I can't see that with her pinning on him that he paid for the abortion. You know, I, I don't know whether Herschel Walker paid for an abortion or not. What I know is that if it happened, it was 13 years ago. Um, what I know is that uh, Herschel Walker has written a book I've been very explicit about his mental health concerns. Uh, went on television with his ex-wife where she talked about what he had done to her uh, that has been selectively edited uh, out of what was said. The entire conversation was selectively edited into Democratic attacks, leaving out that he was there as part of the conversation. The only reason we know about these things is because he wrote a book. And in writing that book, he confessed to all the bad things he had done. And so I think it's up for voters. If you take him at his word, he didn't do it. Or you think, okay, he did it 13 years ago and he's not going to admit it. But concurrently, you acknowledge he struggled with mental health. He admitted his battles with mental health. He struggled with mental health. And he beat the problems. 
and sought to raise the profile of mental health to destigmatize people with mental health. And are you going to hold that against him? Are you going to hold it against someone that he sought to destigmatize mental health and raise awareness about it? And so raised his profile by exposing his vulnerabilities. And now that's going to be used against him. That's honestly, that's the thing that, that really sticks in my craw about uh, Raphael Warnock. The only reason we know these things about Herschel Walker is because Herschel Walker chose to write a book and do a national press tour on television to talk about those things, to raise awareness for people who need help. And we are expected by Raphael Warnock and the Democrats to condemn a man and not allow him to move beyond the stigma of mental health even though the whole point of him making himself vulnerable and exposing himself was so that people understood people's struggles with mental health, to make it relatable, to humanize it by using his celebrity to raise the profile of people who are struggling with mental health. And so he told every bad thing he did. He wrote a book about it, went on TV about it, and the Democrats want to selectively exert what he did from his ex-wife's point of view without realizing he's sitting right there with her, sharing the story. For a man who preaches a gospel, who claims to be a Christian reverend, that Raphael Warnock has no room for redemption or grace or people's ability to move on from where they were at their darkest moment really is shameful to me. It's shameful to me that a man would claim to preach in Jesus's name and show no grace to a man who sought forgiveness and redemption from his darkest days. You can say whatever you want to say about Herschel Walker, whether you think he's up to the job or you think he's qualified or not. But at least have the grace to recognize we know what we know about him because he chose to tell us. He chose to reveal his darkest moments and make himself vulnerable so that other people struggling with mental health might have hope that they can get help. And I'm not prepared to condemn a man for having done that. And I frankly think that makes him a, a better person than the reverend who would condemn him for his prior struggles and show him no grace and no redemption and no forgiveness. Now, I got to tell you guys about uh, a new sponsor for the program that I'm a big fan of. I'm actually one of their fellows, and I'm delighted that they chose to advertise because I have worked with them for years. Americans for Prosperity is a group that is, well, they got an office in Washington, but they're not really of Washington. That's why I like them. They're one of those conservative groups that has always stood up for free people and free markets, and they have not wavered. Even as there's been pressure brought to bear on them from the left and the right, they are constantly attacked. Uh, and yet they continue to stand for free markets and free people. And what they do is they raise a grassroots army. They provide you the tools you need to get involved in politics and shape public policy. They want to educate you from a free market, free people, small government perspective. They want to provide you the resources to be active down to the local level, the state level, the federal level. And they want to provide you the, the tools, education, and resources to be engaged to shape a better tomorrow for Americans. I love them. I think they're some of the best honest brokers on the right these days in terms of intellectual capital. They don't churn out white papers for other people in Washington to get excited about. They actually churn out citizens who are smart about the issues and go on to improve our lives from a conservative perspective. So I'm delighted they chose to let me tell you about them. They're one of the hidden gems of the conservative movement. 
and they're raising their profile again. Uh, they've been heavily involved in just r- raising up the Tea Party back in the day. And I hope you'll check them out. If you go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, I'm sure there's a local chapter near you. Uh, They get involved. They teach you how to be a great activist. And uh, they give you the tools and the knowledge to be a better advocate for your values. americansforprosperity.org slash Eric is the website. americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If you're buying a building, building a building, growing a franchise, reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you. Big deals, though, $750,000 or more, but they can help you nationwide. So I went really long in that last segment, so this is really short. Uh, when we come back, I do want to take your phone calls, but I got to talk to you guys. We need us. this is, it's not political, Um, When we come back, can we talk about this drive by progressives to make normalcy deviant and deviancy normal? I got to play you some audio, and it is going to blow your mind. And this is what's coming out of the woke medical schools of America. You're you're not going to believe it. Even when I play it for you, you may not believe it, but it's true.